Greetings, this is Bashiri, and I'd like to welcome you to the Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast. Of course, I greet you in love, peace, and confrontation. Black man, I love you. Black woman, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we tell our sons? Let's get out here and be the light. Moreover, let's recognize and consider that we are the solution and house both the capacity and the wherewithal to mitigate and resolve many of the pervasive uh, issues that are urgent in our community, uh, that we are the answers to every prayer that we've ever prayed and or articulated. And ultimately, we are the gods that we seek. All religions be damned. If it does not serve you, you should not serve it black man what up black woman what up black babies what's good so here we are in i i believe our 24th episode of the love peace and confrontation podcast and today will be the seventh installation in a series that is um, investigating and treating in an explorative fashion uh, the politics of religion. Here we are again. Um, this may or may not be uh, the final installation in that series. I'm not sure that I'm through with it, uh, with this one. Mm, I've been having a lot of intriguing and, uh, in my estimation, important conversations um, that uh, pertain to the subject matter at hand. And um, there is a lot to be said. Um, There are many um, aspects. Uh, There are many uh, features of this particular uh, conversation and the treatment of the same um, that warrant attention. And I will try uh, at my best effort to distill many of the ideas that are floating around in my consciousness in a very cogent, uh, logical, and organized fashion uh, in that regard and to that end. And so um, I'm recalling one particular conversation uh, that is at the forefront of my mind, and it has to do with, or it um, it kind of... Um, it kind of revolved around the overall or the overarching um, conceptual framing of what culture is and how culture is defined and uh, the utility of culture. And, you know, I read a lot, too. So I'm in conversation with people, uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm, I'm conversing with these books and these authors, et cetera, and, and culture uh, at least from uh, all of those different modes of conversation, so to speak, you know what I mean? Whether, whether through spoken word with peers or through the wit- written word via uh, some of these authors that I'm engaging. Culture, again, falls within the paradigm purview of human survival overall. It's a survival mechanism, culture that is. It's a survival tool that humans employ to perpetuate life, to perpetuate their um, biological prerogatives. And so culture is intrinsic, right? And is imbued with or imbued with intrinsic value um, for the sake of its uh, utility, right? In the human, um, I guess, uh, maturation process. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're socialized, right? There's this biogenetic social matrix that we find ourselves in as we are endeavoring to matriculate through. Uh, the human experience and to become ever more evolved iterations of human being. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, along those lines, um, 
we see that uh, no matter what the locale, no matter what region, um, no matter what space we may find ourselves in uh, with respect to um, location on the planet, right? You talk uh, geographically. There are cultures, right, that are disparate with respect to uh, whatever spaces geographically we may find ourselves manifesting human uh, behavior. And so when we're talking about um, the politics of religion or we're talking about um, the commerce of, of relationships, right, or we're talking about uh, politics and policies and socialization of the human being, we're talking about that, of course, through and by the lens of some kind of cultural um, referent. So I'm speaking with this guy um, that I have in mind, good brother, and I'll probably have to invite him on the podcast um, because he offers an opposing viewpoint that I think is beneficial. And I love opposing viewpoints. <laughs> I think, you know, again, um, there is something to be said about creative conflict and the, and the fruit therein, right? So I'm looking forward to having a future conversation with him right here on the podcast in a subsequent episode. Um, but he was disclosing to me his understanding of religious culture, um, Christianity as a culture in particular, and it being um, or uh, there being housed within rather that religious culture or manifestation of um, human uh, spirituality for lack of better terms because I don't I think spirituality is way uh, far more encompassing than the uh, narrow dictates of religious dogmatic um, manifestations, right, of belief and myth, mythos or mythos, you know what I'm saying? And so um, he was saying that he felt as if Christianity offered something unique in terms of civilizing and uh, engendering culture in an otherwise cultureless scenario and situation. And um, it's interesting because, of course, listening to him articulate his ideas, of course, is triggering ideas in my mind. And right off the bat, it's like, okay, so you think from the outset that the Christian culture occupy or should rightfully occupy a place of primacy over and against other cultures. And that to me is problematic, you know? That to me gets at the very heart and uh, the crux of why I even started this series in terms of the politics of religion because um, that posture, if I'm reading in uh, him right, and if I am articulating his ideas appropriately, that posture already assumes uh, that there will be a superimposition of one culture over and against another culture uh, due to uh, the respective uh, superiority and or inferiority. Uh, of culture A and culture B. That's an issue. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of the politics of religion. We're talking about policies. We're talking about definitions. We're, we're, we're talking about assignation. We're talking about um, phrases or ideas um, that incarnate in terms of how people are impacted by accordant institutions within 
of the political landscape and the uh, social framework. That's what we're speaking to. I'm dealing with the big ideas. You know what I'm saying? I'm dealing with the macro um, implications, right, of the, the aforementioned ways in which human beings are indoctrinated. Now, some of you might feel like I feel as if indoctrination is inherently evil. And I, I want to double down and just go ahead and clear the air that my own personal perspective uh, as it pertains to um, human development, I kind of come at it from a, a moral perspective or point of view. So I don't necessarily want to um, moralize these terms, you know, with designations as it were pertaining to um, good, evil, right, wrong, right? And I'm not saying that those designations are without merit because they certainly have their place. There is a up, there is a down, there is a left, there is a right. So I'm not doing this whole um, moral relativism uh, kind of approach, nor am I uh, saying that I'm a, a proponent of that that whole postmodern to do, right? Where we just define reality <laughs> into uh, 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 inconsequential non-existence on the basis of definitions, because I don't think that's something that's possible. <laughs> that's and that might be a whole other podcast episode. Um, so, but when I'm speaking. Um, about uh, the business of indoctrination. I think there, there can be positive and negative outcomes. I think there are positive and uh, negative intentions that drive various calibers of indoctrination, okay? So when I'm dealing with the macro ideas Okay, of, you know, something like uh, propaganda, you know, or we're talking about how uh, how uh, in a pedagogical fashion, our young have to go through a programming. I'm not saying that all programming is necessarily um, destructive. Okay. I'm more I'm more dealing with, of course, we're always speaking uh, with respect to or in the uh, with an awareness of the context of white supremacy. Right. Uh, and the players are, you know, just to uh, clearly uh, define our terms, the players in that context, of course, uh, in this very serious game, might I add, politically white. And politically black people, right? According to um, those uh, political designations, uh, more particularly within the confines of the American enterprise. That's what we're speaking to and all of the history that's accordant with uh, those engagements and what have you. That's all I'm talking to. So uh, in that sense, I think it would be beneficial for those of us who have been uh, assigned the uh, assignation politically black to be self-defining, to be self-determined, to develop programs that are going to be commensurate with our unique experiences and the unique challenges and impediments that we must overcome. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it's dealing with the specificity of those unique experiences that are going to make for meaningful programming and meaningful indoctrination and meaningful even propaganda. You see what I'm saying? Because it's coming from an orientation that takes into account the real experiences of a specific group. Whereas the alternative, again, more so uh, 
errs on the side of a superimposition of another group's perspective over and against and often um, to the denigration and outright denial of the perspective of another subjugated and or um, victimized group. Okay, so that's why I'm very careful with my terms. That's why I'm very particular about how I'm framing this uh, this conversation. You know what I mean? And how um, the dialogue and it'll be dialogical right now. Of course, I'm doing my whole monologue thing because it's, it's just me right now. But when I bring on other guests and, and, and things of that nature, it, I'm, I'm very particular about framing the terms. Right. And about communicating very clearly uh, what the objectives are or what what I think needs to be uh, accomplished via the conversation. And in this case, via the kind of monologue that we have going on here. When I'm speaking to the politics of religion, it's not necessarily to down a particular religion. Although you might hear me speak heavily uh, in less than glowing terms <laughs> about Christianity, only because in my experience uh, with the Christian faith and how I was raised in it, um, there were more uh, insidious, detrimental outcomes um, that outweighed the episodic goodness <laughs> that is supposed to be uh, assumed to abide therein. And I, I, that's a good segue into something this good brother was saying. I really got to bring him on. But he was speaking to uh, my seeming um, preoccupation, if you will, with trying to drive a divisive wedge in the community between uh, those who may practice faith and those who see faith as problematic. And I don't think I'm necessarily intending to be divisive. I say divisive. People, Some people say divisive. I don't know. I'm just going to go with the flow. You know what I mean? That's just an aside. Um, I think more so I have to speak truthfully about these outcomes first from my own personal experience and then as I perceive and as I engage others um, who have had kindred experiences. You know what I'm saying? So there's something to be said about the quality, the kind, the caliber and, uh, of indoctrination within the uh, within the scope of the Christian conversation um, that may be uncomfortable, especially if you're still a believer. So I kudos to him. That he would even listen to some of the content because I know it had to have been a tough listen. But to my to my point that I was making, it's not about necessarily um, being destructive um, to Christianity. You know what I mean? Even though I do deconstruct it, I do. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's more so about um, broadening our scope of understanding of how the religious institution serves the overall economic, political, and power interest of a dominant group. That's all I'm looking at. Okay? Human beings, uh, I forget the author who articulated this idea, but you can probably Google it. Um, Human beings are mythical, magical, um, 
creatures. They are. You know what I mean? We're going to have beliefs, you know? Um, we're going to have myth and mythology, you know what I'm saying? We're going to create narrative and story, you know, because that's kind of how we make sense of the world. You know, we tell stories um, for whatever reason. Stories are um, instrumental in our development, you know what I mean? And, and they intrigue the human imagination. And so that's going to be there, you know what I mean? I think... I think we're, I might be, or or should I say the rub of it may be when um, these stories that are ahistorical are taken to be um, historical, you know what I mean, or fact. And then there's the dogma of saying, well, my story is more important than the next story. And if you don't... Um, adhere to and or uh, submit to the dictates and the concerns of my particular story of how I view um, the world, you know, as it relates to um, the origins of, of, of being itself, you know what I mean? It gets really deep when you, when you get into ontological arguments or you get into the cosmological debates and and what have you and where and why and how of the genesis of everything <laughs> and you become rigid in your presentation you become um murderously um committed well then that's a problem and too often, right, uh, the religious arm has been in bed with the, um, the fascist dictates of the state. There's no way around it, man. You know what I'm saying? And so that's, what, that's why, you know, when I'm digging at, um, when I'm digging at the tyrannical aspects of state governings or governance and the policies i mean by history you know what i'm saying if you're doing a a a, a truthful treatment and assessment of those kinds of happenings then you're almost certainly going to be um at least feeling as if to speak of one is to speak of the other right in other words, speaking of the tyrannical dictates of the state uh, is, is coterminous with some of the religious fervor uh, that those kinds of happenings are, um, you know, are accomplished therein, right, or executed thereby. But I always invite persons who are of faith, and I know this is an aside, I always invite them to, you know, divorce yourself from being offended. And if, if you can, allow space and latitude for an idea um, that may be uncomfortable. But in the long run, you'll find beneficial and useful, you know, um, if for no other reason to, like I say, often as it pertains to conflict of ideas, if for no other reason to sharpen your convictions um, of your own position. So it's going to improve your position, because I'm not trying to proselytize anyone. <laughs> I always make that clear. I'm not doing the religious thing, you know what I'm saying? Whether sacred or secular, I believe, you know, that whole religiosity can be uh, uh, sacred and or secular. I'm not trying to do any of that. I just want to honestly deal with these concepts, these ideas, these outcomes. That's what I'm looking at. You know what I mean? 
uh, and I'm being I'm being candid, number one, with my own experience, and I'm being candid uh, in terms of the historical record. There's no reason for us to not be able to reasonably explore these ideas with integrity and authenticity uh, and without uh, having to be mortal enemies. But you'll see by virtue of the historical record that unfortunately, uh, uh, to quote the late great um, Dr. King, we, we, we haven't learned to, to, to disagree without both being disagreeable and or homicidal, unfortunately. You know what I'm saying? You know, these ideas uh, really get people revved up and, and ruffle those proverbial feathers. But anyway, uh, when we're talking about the politics of religion and, and we're speaking to uh, the indoctrination, the programming, the pedagogical um, uh, motivations... Okay, that shape human consciousness, that shape human being, that influence human behavior. Uh, we're always speaking to an intentionality. An intentionality. We think we're coming from um, a frame of reference that exemplifies moral rectitude and rightness and righteousness and i'm saying uh that may be at the very least a tad inconsiderate okay right without even having to demonize anyone who may be of a particular belief in or suasion we don't i mean i don't have to do that let's just say at the very least it's rude. <laughs> you know? Okay. And then to the nth degree, you know, it's, again, it's, um, it's genocidal. It's calculated. It's calculus in terms of um, people who are not like you uh, being ascribed a number that you have no empathy for um, and you just go ahead and you do that murderous calculus and you do those calculations that are callous and uh, whatever the bottom line is, even if it leaves droves and scores and scores of, upon scores of people um, six feet deep well, then that's just what the number is called for. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's what we're talking about. What are we talking about? Numbers. We're, we're talking about uh, economics. We're talking about um, various sorts and iterations of economies. You know what I'm saying? We're to, of course, we're talking about uh, money as an economy and relationships as an economy, you know, and, and education as an economy and politics and socialization and all of the above. Uh, we're talking about commerce, right? Because I think I've been very, very clear uh, thematically um, as an ongoing underpinning of this series to this point. And, you know, this is the seventh installation here uh, that all things are commerce. You know what I'm saying? It's all about, I think we talked about in the last episode, trade and tradition. You know what I'm saying? And um, the... Uh, 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 the passing on or dissemination of, okay, the C word, the culture, right? This thing that humans have developed to perpetuate themselves through the annals of time um, to ensure uh, their biological survival and or interest. Okay, that can't happen without some kind of material import, Right? Uh, an organizing principle that that galvanizes uh, uh, our facility to acquire, right, and develops a system to pass on things that have been acquired, whether that be information, um, uh, a 
skill um, or uh, uh, some sort of facility that, here we go with the M word now, that will be marketable in this social space, right? Among humans, right? And so this conversation is always a conversation that has to deal with um, exchanges that ideally would be mutually beneficial, but we know better than that by way of history. They have not been mutually beneficial. These have been exploitative engagements, interactions, and relationships ongoing. And then the status quo has been to preserve, right, the lopsided power differentials uh, that were established um, in less than wholesome ways. <laughs> and, I'm, and I think I'm being very, very kind with my, uh, my terms here uh, by way of description. You understand what I'm saying? I think, I think that I am. I'm trying to be, even though... The behavior warrants um, no kindness at all. These circumstances, these conditions have been deplorable. They've been demonic. You know what I mean? Um, they've been outrageous. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, you know, I am very calmly uh, expressing rage, I, I guess. Anyway, so when we're looking at culture... Because we're still in that that cultural conversation, um, and we apply it to policy, just for example, or or we we apply it uh, again to the, the the programming and 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 how we're teaching our young. What what happens too often is we're divorced from the macro implications of what we're doing because we're stuck in our bubble. We're only looking at what's in front of us. You know, um, the late, great Dr. Amos Wilson, he says, uh, servants are victims of what he designated as concrete kinds of thinking. You know what I mean? So, in other words, uh, servants in terms of their consciousness are socialized to be uh, obedient, right? They're socialized to use their mental facility uh, in ways that would be functionally expedient in terms of immediate circumstances, okay? So they don't, they don't abstract, you know, they don't they don't deal in abstract thinking. They don't deal in broader conceptual implications of uh, the day to day grind and what it might mean uh, for the future of of their progeny and their progeny's progeny, you know, uh, ad infinitum. They don't do that. It's just right in front of my face. It's that hand to mouth kind of existence. And. Um, while on the one hand, it keeps you aware, I suppose, and uh, with your foot on the ground about what's happening at that level, um, the, again, the converse to that, or the, 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 uh, the drawback, uh, um, to phrase it another way, is you can't see further than your hand. You know, the hand and mouth thing, you can't see beyond um, the other side of that particular equation. And so you become short-sighted, you know, and you become myopic and your vision is diminished and you're literally, well, at least functionally in that sense, in terms of the projection of a more acute vision, you're blind. You're blinded by what you see. You're blinded by what's in front of your face. And you can't get beyond um, these circumstances that seem urgent, you know? 
And there's always that 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 um, nervous energy that keeps you on the proverbial hamster wheel of trying to get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and you don't even understand that the next thing was the last thing, <laughs> and the next rung you had already been on. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't dawn on you because. You have been uh, inculcated and imposed upon by an alien agency uh, who exploits that nervous energy that is accordant with the chase for their own, like we always been saying here now, economic, political, and power interests. And religion and the religious institution within that paradigm and context of human happening, engagement uh, and behavior. Is is molested in like fashion. (laughs) It's not left untouched. It just isn't. You know, and that's what I was trying to get my brother to see, like, hey, man, because he he it was like and I'm going to have to have him on. Uh, It was it was almost as if he was blinded by, to use another term by the late great Dr. Amos Wilson, he was blinded by dumb goodness. Or as I disclose him, you know, the the episodic manifestation of air quotes goodness that we might find in uh the church, they are moot manifestations in the broader framing of the conversation of power relationships. You know what I'm saying? Um, I had wrote a poem some years back and I was uh, I, it kind of got at the idea that um, what the poor lack in money, they're rich in morals. <laughs> you know? You know what I mean? Um, Morally, uh, just, you know, wealthy. You know what I'm saying? But without power. You know what I mean? So relying on this morality that, that disempowers, that segues into a posture where we're always asking for an outside agency to do for us what our morality, air quotes morality, can't. That's where the prayer thing comes in. That's where, to a certain extent, um, the voting thing comes in. I'm going to make my voice heard. Because, I mean, like, yo, bro, like, listen, we got to get out of these postures where we're asking for some sort of external intermediary to, again, uh, bring resolution to what we could resolve ourselves if we saw ourselves as capable, as powerful, as housing the capacity, as real possibility to bring about real resolutions rather than waiting on the goodwill of others who are not impacted in the ways that we are. Again, who, who, who don't have to traverse the issues that we traverse on a daily you know what I mean? Who don't have to contend with the challenges? As a matter of fact, uh, these people who actually benefit from the challenges that we contend with on a daily basis. Uh, and those people who actually walk on our backs as we traverse uh, several, uh, to use <laughs> a biblical reference or Christian um, cliche, Trials and tribulations. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they, 
We love alliteration in the, in in the, in the church. <laughs> very very poetic people. We love we love all these things here. Um, and so as I'm processing and 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 having this conversation with my brother, and it's just like, hey man, we can't get caught up in the the seeming goodness that we see manifesting within the broader framework or system that is uh, criminal in its genesis. Because even the good in that particular system will only serve to maintain that system. Which again, which is is inherently um, abusive. Okay, it's it's founded upon abuse. It's founded upon degradation and the demoralization and the demonization of the other. Right? To have the other perpetually marginalized. Right? But then to um, to now take in the other... Again, another thing we're speaking of where power will actually hire um, members from the targeted group to assist in the perpetuation of their own degradation. You know, at that point... Um, Streamline the process of oppression as uh, particular members of the beleaguered group are now graduated into uh, self-oppression uh, and modes of being. Okay? That's why the the progress that we see, I said this in another podcast as well, the progress is not really progress, man. It's 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 this deplorable system um, streamlining its resources. Power doesn't want to exhaust itself power wants to maintain itself and so power asks the question ongoing how can I get the greatest yield with the least investment so the greatest yield with the least investment is to inculcate the targeted population with a morality and a goodness that's going to um, support and maintain and solidify stranglehold that I have on them. Religion serves that function in the broader scheme of things. And so while we're having the, the inconsequential arguments about whether this is right or this is wrong or this is moral or that's immoral, I mean, you know, the power goes on uninterrupted. Because while we're having our moral debates, we're not developing strategy to define the terms rather than being ruled by them. We're not developing that. Talking to another friend of mine, and I got to come in for a landing here soon. I was talking to another friend of mine, and um, I was relaying to him that uh, one of the worst things we could be as a targeted population is uh, law-abiding. Man, was he just like taking him back. He's like, whoa, 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 we can get out here and break the laws and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like listen to what I'm saying. If we're going to say that um, our air quotes justice system is, is actually an injustice system and these laws 
um, our immoral laws, right, then our adherence to those laws um, is a validation of our subjugation by those laws. Like, we agree with it. We agree to be subverted. We agree um, and we submit. We agree to the oppression. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, so reminding him about even, you know, the civil rights movement and um, Martin Luther King and others who decided to break the law. You know what I mean? Um, on, on the basis of, on a moral basis. You feel what I'm saying? And, um, you know, pros and cons with that. And, you know, I don't like to, like I said, moralize these terms um, necessarily because that trips us up. It really does. It, we, 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 we get tripped up and we get distracted by those conversations. Not to say that um, those terms shouldn't be dealt with or that they don't have any meaningful implications in the conversation. But what happens is there is this fixation that occurs with us in particular. And I think it's as a result of uh, that being the only space where we could, um, where we could offer, at least in our ranks, alternative opinions. You know what I'm saying? When you're a dominated group and you you live in a dominated society that doesn't really care too much for your conversation or your point of view, um, you don't really talk to them about much <laughs> in, in that regard. You know what I mean? Because historically, if you did, well, it literally cost you your life. Another analogy, and then I'm a I'm a I'm a coming for a real landing. And that analogy will be, I was talking again to my friend about um, the politics of water bugs in my shoe. Um, and that reminded me of a scene from even, um, I guess it must have been the Avengers. The first one where, where Loki was talking, to, and he said to Samuel L. Jackson's character that, you know, uh, what quarrel does an ant have with a boot? And I'm saying the same thing to my friend. Like, man, when I'm in my house, because we got water bugs, when I'm in my house dealing with these water bugs, I I don't care how articulate that water bug might be. You know what I'm saying? The only language I'm speaking to that water bug at that point is this shoe and... uh. Whatever hard surface he's about to be obliterated on. Doesn't matter to me. As a matter of fact, I said to him, if uh if those water bugs ever decided to get in a, 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 a get in a single foul line and protest uh according to their perspective, the unwarranted killing of prior water bugs. I would just put on both my shoes <laughs> and, and get to the running man on that water bug protest. And, then, and, and, and that's what I'm trying to convey to him. You know, politically white and politically black under the auspices of white supremacy, they don't see us the same. And necessarily so. Because to see us the same would mean they would have to be more uh, equitable, right, with the resources uh, in terms of the uh, economy of engagement, right, respectively. But that doesn't work for them because, you know, they want to hoard things, you know what I'm saying? They want to have excess Again, you know, they want to have more and more and more and more. And so there has to be this uh, dehumanization 
that says, well, we're not on par along the continuum of human experience. You guys are subhuman. You guys are tantamount to water bugs. And I don't care how articulate or uh, how erudite the articulation of your protest may be. I don't care how gut-wrenching your anguish uh, may manifest in your grief. We're going to keep doing it again and again and again until you show us something that resembles power. <laughs> Until you unnerve us, you know what I'm saying? Or show us that, you know, we just can't dance on you with these boots. Until you until you fly in our face. You ever had a water bug fly in your face? Oh boy. That makes you feel a little different about running up on a water bug, huh? Anyway, it's not just about parsing out the problem. It's always about shedding light on members in your community who are doing an incredible work. And here in Hampton Roads, Hampton Roads is regional black chamber of commerce, black brand, blackbrand.biz. If you're industrious, endeavor to be industrious, entrepreneurial, endeavor to be entrepreneurial, you need to link yourself with a network and a nexus of powerful, like-minded individuals who have your overall economic well-being both in head and in heart. Black Brand. Blackbrand.biz, 150-year economic um, plan in the making exclusively for politically black people. Um, And that's it on the I do believe the 24th episode, seventh installation of the politics of religion of the love, peace and confrontation podcast. Black man, I love you. Black woman, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What we tell our sons to get out here, be the light. Understand that we are the solution, that we are indeed the answer to every prayer that we've ever prayed in or articulated. Uh, that we are uh, the gods that we are seeking. All religions be damned. If it does not serve you, you should not serve it. Um, Get out there and do something that's going to make the future proud. Uh, Let's not be fraudulent. Um, I love you guys. Y'all keep your head on a swivel. And until next next time, uh, sign off in love, peace, and confrontation. Everybody, please be safe. One.